Welcome to Salt and Light with Pastor Rodney Finch. Salt and Light is a radio outreach ministry of Calvary Chapel, Cary. Jesus, speak to me. Open your word and reveal your heart to me. Salt and Light is a series of verse-by-verse studies through the Bible, focusing on its practical application to our everyday lives. Salt and Light is recorded live at Calvary Chapel, Cary, in Apex, North Carolina. Stay tuned. At the end of the program, we will give you information on how to contact us, so be sure to have a pen and paper ready. Today, Pastor Rodney will be teaching from the book of Acts, chapter 10. So grab your Bibles and follow along. Now with today's teaching, here's Pastor Rodney. If you were with us last Sunday... Linda Randall, off the chain. Wasn't she really good? Clap your hands if you thought she was awesome. Wasn't she awesome? Just her heart of ministry, she was just wonderful. And sweet sister, just the same in the pulpit as in the stage as she is and at dinner. And we just had a wonderful time. She was great. And, and if you were here, we, we, we were uh, dealing with the last part of Acts chapter 9, as you well know. And, um, and I told you that as we move into uh, Acts chapter 10 that Acts chapter 10 is a remarkable turning point in the book of Acts. Now, up to this point, give me your attention, up to this point, uh, from Acts chapter 2 to Acts chapter 10 is approximately 8 to 10 years. And in these 8 to 10 years, in the life and the birth of the early church, a lot of things have happened. In Acts chapter 2, you know, if you were with us, the Holy Spirit has fallen on the church. We've seen the establishment of leadership and the raising up of godly men and women in Acts chapter 6. We've seen the persecution begin on the church with Saul there in Acts chapter 7. Chapter 6 actually was the establishment of a leadership and the raising up of godly men and women. We we talked about that if you were with us. And so then we move into chapter 8. And in chapter 8, we we saw a great revival break out in Samaria. Remember, you were with us. And and they were all baptized in the Holy Spirit, with the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 8. And so it's at this point in Acts chapter 8. Now listen very closely. At this point in Acts chapter 8, that the racial boundaries are beginning to be broken down and taken apart piece by piece. That begins in Acts chapter 8. And then we move on into Acts chapter 9, and we've seen the persecutor, Paul the Apostle, turn preacher. Remember that when he was saved in Acts chapter 9? And then we've seen the persecutor become the persecuted as his friends and his colleagues seek to kill him there in the latter part of Acts chapter 9. Now, in Acts chapter 10, God even goes further to break down those walls of racism and discrimination as the gospel now in chapter 10 goes to the Gentiles. God began that process of breaking down those walls in Acts chapter 8 as the gospel began to influence the area of Samaria. Remember, that was the area of the mixed breed of folks. And now God goes almost a little bit deeper to deal with the racism and the discrimination and the separatism in the church. Why? Because listen, if a church, any church or any people, are you listening? Say amen if you hear me. Any church, this is huge, important. 
any church or any people that is going to be relevant, that is going to be a viable church in any community or any country or any culture has to be a church that the walls of racism and discrimination and separatism do not exist. And if you, an individual or a church, are racist, discriminatory, in any way, shape, or form, God cannot use you. This is why God is dealing with that. See, it's, it's, in, in, it's innate in people to be separate. It's innate in people to try to exalt themselves against somebody else. And God doesn't want that for his church. God does not want that for his people. And before the early church is affected by this, God begins to deal with it right here and right now. That is why Acts chapter 10 is such a critical, critical turning point in the book of Acts because the gospel is now going from the Jew. Remember, the gospel was sent to the Jew and then to the Gentile. Well, now we see the gospel has gone to the Jewish people in Acts chapter 1 through 9. And now in Acts chapter 10, the gospel is going to go to the Gentile. And God's going to start dealing with some of these issues because many people, all people need Jesus. Amen, saints? All people, all folks, black folks, white folks. I was going to say purple folks, but there ain't no purple folks. <laughs> all folks, you understand? They need Jesus Christ. Well, now, remember I've told you, you've been around here at Calvary Chapel. Remember I told you that, that there's no chapter and verse break in the Bible. And all of that was put in place for easy read, chapter and verse, but it all was written as one letter. So before we get into uh, Acts chapter 10, I want to, we got to go back and look at verse 43, if you will, of Acts chapter 9. So back up just a little bit and look at Acts chapter 9. And we pick up our study this morning in verse 43. Saints, if you're with me, say amen. amen. And so it was that he, Peter, stayed many days... In Joppa with Simon, a tanner. Now in chapter 10, verse 1 through 8, we'll read, There was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of what was called the Italian regiment, a devout man and one who feared God with all of his household, who gave alms generously to the people. And this guy, he prayed to God always. And about the ninth hour of the day... He saw clearly, note this, saints, in a vision, an angel of God coming in and saying to him, Cornelius, man, that must have been a trip. You're laying there, praying, all of a sudden, an angel shows up and says, hey, Rodney. Be like, this is weird. <laughs> Cornelius, yo, bro. And when he observed him, in verse 4, he was afraid, <laughs> I would be too, and said, what is it, Lord? 
And so he said to him, your prayers and your alms have come up for a memorial before God. Now send men to Joppa. Here's what you're to do. Send men to Joppa and send for Simon, whose surname is Peter. He is lodging with Simon, a tanner whose house is by the sea. And he will tell you what you must do. And when the angel who spoke to him had departed, Cornelius called two of his household servants and a devout soldier from among those who waited on him continually. So when he had explained all these things in verse 8, to them, he sent them to Joppa. Now, stop right there. Give me your attention. If you were with us last week, we saw Peter had come to Joppa. Remember, and God used him to, to, to raise Tabitha from the dead. You know that if you were with us. And the miracle of the raising of the dead by Peter, you know how many people came up to me last week and said, I never knew that Peter raised somebody from the dead? You know, it's an interesting thing that happens when you just read the Bible. It's amazing how much you learn. Amen, saints? And it's a wonderful thing. And so Peter, he raised this woman from the dead, and this miracle became known throughout all of Joppa. Now, after the miracle, we talked about this last week, after the miracle in verse 43, Peter stayed many days in Joppa with a man named Simon. Simon was a tanner. A tanner. What's a tanner? Well, perhaps you don't know, a tanner was a profession where they would skin the skins off of dead animals. A tanner was considered an unclean person. A tanner would take chemicals and cow dung. Ooh, gross. And he would rub it into the skins and kind of tan the skin of an animal. That's where we get some of y'all country folk, you know, when your mom or your dad say, you know what? I'm going to tan your hide. <laughs> say amen, saints. You know what I'm talking about. Then that would be the nice way to say. Anyway, where were we? <laughs> And, you know, he would, you know, rub that skin and rub that hide. And needless to say, the house of a tanner stunk. Now, you know it's bad when you go to somebody's house and it stinks. It's bad. So a tanner now, considered unclean, get this, according to Jewish law, did you know, a tanner had to live 50 paces outside of the town. And he had to live downwind. You understand. Get this. If a Jewish girl married a tanner and didn't find out until after the wedding, she could legally divorce him. If a tanner or if a guy woke up one morning, and you know how you just decide you're going to change professions? Well, if he woke up one morning and said, you know what, honey? I think I want to be a tanner. She could say, okay, and I think you want to be single. She could divorce him. Legally divorce him. So... In verse 43 of chapter 9, it is incredible, listen, that Peter, a Jew, is sitting in the house of a Gentile tanner. That's his incredible thing. It is also incredible that Peter is in the town of Joppa. Listen, when you hear the town of Joppa, do you think of a particular person? You think of anybody? 
What? Don't whisper y'all in church. Go and yell it out. Jonah, yeah. People don't want to yell out in church in case they're wrong. Jonah. Yeah, Jonah. You got it. You think of Jonah. And you know the story. We all know the story. We've learned good theology from Veggie Tales. We know the story. <laughs> Amen. I'm in the side. Like, Veggie Tales are cute. You can learn a lot from Veggie Tales. And you know the story of Jonah. I mean, Jonah was called by God to go preach to the Gentiles, and he refused, and he went where? to Joppa, don't you remember? And he got a ship headed for Tarshish. Don't you remember that? And while he was going there, they threw him overboard and he was swallowed up by a whale and he was barfed up on the beach. Remember I titled my sermon, Barfed Up on the Beach? Remember that? Which is proof you can't keep a good man down. Look, I worked on that one for two weeks. Y'all need to laugh. You better laugh. So, oh, you know the story. So Joppa, Joppa's an interesting place. Now, Peter is in the town of Joppa. Peter is with Simon. Simon lives in the town of Joppa, and he is there for many days. Now, in the Jewish culture, the Jewish people, religious Jews, were very discriminatory against tanners, as I mentioned. But not only were they discriminatory against tanners, but they were also, they discriminated against Gentiles. So we have Simon, if you will, he's got a double whammy because he's a Gentile and he's a tanner. Tanners work with the dead, with dead bodies, and religious Jews were not allowed to touch dead bodies or they would be considered unclean for many days. Religious Jews taught, get this, that Gentiles were only created. Gentiles, that'd be you and me, unless you were a Jew. Gentiles, they taught, were only created to be the fodder for the fires of hell. Fuel for hell, they taught. The religious Jews would pray this prayer, listen, every morning. Thank God I am not a Gentile, a dog, or a woman. Then they would say that, y'all, not me. All the ladies, they give you those eyes, man, they can cut you. So what's going on here? What's going on, Rodney? What we have here is, listen, listen, listen close. God is beginning to break down the walls of racism and discrimination in Peter by having him stay in the house of a tanner. Now in chapter 10, verse 1, the camera takes us up to Caesarea along the coast to a military man stationed in Caesarea. His name is Cornelius. Cornelius was a centurion. Now listen close. In the first century, the centurion was the backbone of the Roman army. In the Roman army, here is their kind of structure in their, their military structure. In the Roman army, there was a legion. In a legion of men, a legion of men consisted of 6,000 soldiers or 6,000 men. In the Roman army, there was also a cohort. A cohort consisted of 600 soldiers. In the Roman army, there was also what is known as a 
band or in your new King Jimmy, it says a regiment. A regiment of soldiers was a hundred men. And over this hundred men would be a sign they would be led by a centurion. The centurion was a non-commissioned officer. The centurion was a sergeant, like a sergeant, who worked his way up from boot camp. He was rugged. He knew the soldiers. He was the backbone of the Roman army. The Bible has a lot to say. We don't have time to talk about it this morning. The Bible has a lot to say about the Roman centurion. And oftentimes, as a matter of fact, more often than not, when the Bible talks about the Roman centurion, are you listening? He talks about, the the Bible talks about the centurion in a good light. The centurions in the Bible were men of high caliber and were men of high character. You might remember a centurion came to Jesus. Don't you know the story? Asking for the healing of his servant. And Jesus said, I'll come to the servant and I'll heal him. And it was the centurion who said, Lord, I know authority. And I am a man of authority. I understand authority. And therefore, Lord, you don't have to come to my house to heal my servant. All you need to do is speak the word and my servant shall be healed. And the Bible says that Jesus looked at this man's faith and he marveled at his faith. This man was a centurion. And by the way, might I add, saints, that Jesus does not marvel at many things. Did you know? He didn't marvel at many things. But at this centurion's faith, a Gentile, Jesus, the Bible says, he marveled. And he said, I've not seen this kind of great faith in even my own people in all of Israel. Centurions are in a good light in the Bible. Don't you remember the story as Jesus is on the cross? And the weather changed, and there was darkness, and there was an earthquake, and the centurion said, truly, this was the Son of God. That was a centurion. So in the Bible, centurions were men of quality. They were men of high caliber. They were men of integrity. They were men of strength and character. And I bring this to your attention this morning Because as I look at the church today, listen to me, as I look at the church today, I see a need for more centurions. Don't you find it a little odd that the church is largely made up of women? You know, statistically, there are more women in church than men. And as you look at various ministries, and maybe even you watch Christian television, and you look in the audience, the the churches are full of women. You know, I believe that honestly, if all of the women around the country decided that they were not going to go to church on any particular Sunday, do you know church will probably close? The women are doing all the work in church. Ladies, y'all need to say amen. I'm just trying to help you. I'm trying to help you. And don't misunderstand me now. 
there is value with women in the church, and women need to be serving. And the Bible has a lot to say about women in the church, but the Bible also has a lot to say about godly men, centurion type of men. And honestly, saints, I got to tell you, in this particular church, let's talk Calvary Chapel here, just this one. I can say as a pastor, I am blessed, blessed, blessed beyond all that you could ever think to see that in this church there are so many godly men who love the Lord. As a matter of fact, as I look at this audience right now, and I did it first service and I'm looking at it right now, I would venture to say that this church is probably about 50-50 of men and women in this room right now. And I thank the Lord for that. This church is full of godly men, centurion-type men, men who love the Lord, and I'm happy about that. Because contrary to popular opinion and media propaganda, God is still looking for good men. God is still looking for centurion-type men. God is still looking for men who will stand up and be men. Contrary to popular opinion, it is a good thing to be a godly Christian man. And there is dignity in being a Christian man. And there is dignity in following Jesus as a man. And there is masculinity in following Jesus as a man. Don't you remember when Pilate brought Jesus forth, what did he say? He said, behold the man. He didn't say behold the whim. He didn't say behold the wuss. He didn't say behold the man pseudo-man, he said, behold the man. You see, Jesus was a very masculine yet gracious, very masculine yet kind, very masculine yet gentle, very masculine but yet compassionate, very masculine but yet loving man. He was a man. And I don't like the movies that picture Jesus as some girly man. He always meek and mild. Just meek and mild. Just meek and mild. Never get upset. And when he does get upset, it's always, you know, well, I don't like it when you sell things in the temple, you're making me upset. You know, they got Jesus sound like Michael Jackson or something. I mean, what's up with that? Come on, black people, come on. I don't like it. I just don't like it. There's a problem with that. There's just a problem with that. There's a problem with that. I mean, there is a problem with that. You know, Jesus was a man. Jesus was was strong and yet a man. And and we need to be strong men of God. Men, you know, real men really do love Jesus. There's nothing wrong with being a Christian and being loving and being a man and being compassionate and being gentle toward your family and toward your friends and yet still be a man. Do you understand that being a man has nothing to do with how you flex? I'm a man. What time is it? I better tie my shoes. <laughs> Let me 
ain't got nothing to do with um, being a real man. Fellas, say amen, would you? That ain't got nothing to do with being a real man. A real man loves Jesus. A real man serves God. A real man seeks the heart of the Lord. A real man is humble. A real man knows how to humble himself under the mighty hand of God so that God can lift him up, so that God can give him the things that he needs to be the husband, the father, the uncle, whatever you got to be. God will give you that. This Cornelius, now, 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 now here, he's on duty in Caesarea. He's over a hundred men. And the Bible tells us, did you note this here? He is a devout man who prays and he gives a lot of money to the poor. Now, you don't want to miss this. Listen closely. Although he is a devout man, although he is a religious man, although he gives to the poor, although he prays daily, you want to note this, he wasn't saved. He wasn't saved. You see, God sends Peter to him so that he can be saved. Now, oftentimes, you know, we hear a lot about people who say I'm a good person and, and, and I'm very religious. We all know people like that to say I'm very religious. You ask them if they're a Christian, they tell you they go to church. You ask them if they're a Christian, they tell you that they're religious. We all know people who say that, you know, I'm a good person and I give to Jerry's kids and I do all of the right things and, and, and I'm a good person. Listen, goodness never saved anyone. And religion cannot save you. You know, Jesus said to Nicodemus, don't you remember when Nick came to Jesus at night? Nick at night. That's my favorite. He said what? You must be born again. He didn't say it's okay to be a good person. Jesus said you must be born again. There are plenty of religious people who pray daily and torture their bodies and give to the poor, but they need to have their sins forgiven. So while devout Cornelius is praying, in our story, an angel showed up and said, Cornelius, God has taken notice of your prayers. Notice in verse 9 of chapter 10. Are you there? Say amen. The next day, as they went on their journey and drew near the city, Peter went up on the housetop to pray about the sixth hour, and then he became very hungry, and he wanted to eat. You have been listening to Salt and Light, a radio outreach ministry of Pastor Rodney Finch and Calvary Chapel Cary, located in Apex, North Carolina. Join Pastor Rodney Monday through Friday at this same time. For information regarding service times, you can contact us at 1-800-293-0923. That's 1-800-293-0923. You may listen to today's broadcast in its entirety by visiting the Media Library on our website at cccarry.org. We would like to thank you for tuning in to Salt and Light and pray that you have been blessed. Until next time, may you be salt and light.